Welcome to the Coast to Coast podcast. Okay. What if that was the intro right there? I was kind of wondering if you were going to say that. <laughs> Let's go, baby. <laughs> you tricked me. I did. <laughs> I got you to do it. Hey, no fair. That's not my job. That's your job. Turns out the jobs have been switched. It's opposite day. Uh-oh. Yeah. Welcome yeah. To- yeah. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, everybody. So we're talking coasts today we are we've got back the coast uh, of america of america la to chicago uh yeah we just got back well a couple weeks ago now but we got back from a trip to california Mm -hmm. your first time there my first uh, time there i'm afraid you're mistaken emily Oh, well, okay, yeah. You were born there. Damn straight. But you don't remember it. I do remember when I was a kid going back to Disneyland. I was like three or four at the time. Okay. So, you could say I'm a Californian. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that do this you... was just the the return of the prodigal son. Do you feel like a Californian? When I was there, I was vibing with it. I'll say that. Yeah. The yeah, entire trip was just like yeah. one one big vibe. I'm down with surfing. I'm down with beaches. I'm down with mountains. I'm down with babes. Babes? I'm down with uh, great Mexican food. Yeah. Yeah. Are you down with the red hot chili peppers, though? I am now. Okay. <laughs> My one idea for how to start this podcast was just doing the Red Hot Chili podcast again. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, like we did all, all the way back in the first episode. Yeah. 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 While I was there, I kept looking for a CD copies of um, Sublime's self-titled and uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Red Hot Chili Peppers because I thought that'd be fun for our road trip. I'm getting way ahead of myself here, too. Um, <laughs> but I couldn't find them anywhere. Because they're all sold out. Because everybody yeah. owns them. That's the California. kind of thing. If you're a Californian with that city, it's like you'd never give that up. No. You hold it tight. To your chest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we, we spent a week in California. And uh, it was rad. Yeah, we explored the coast from San Francisco to San Diego and saw a lot of stuff in between. Um, The other coast we want to talk about, too, is the East Coast Mm -hmm. because we we went to a Strokes cover band show. It was Mm -hmm. awesome. And then we watched the documentary Meet Me in the Bathroom. It's all about the New York music scene in the early 2000s with like the Strokes and the Yeah Yeah Yeahs and Interpol and so on. So mm-hmm. we're like, hey, coast to coast. This is an episode. Let's do it. So here we are. Yeah. The East Coast, or as certain Lyft drivers in California would say, you know, that thing that's like <laughs> above Florida. 
and it like it starts with an E or something. <laughs> yeah, like literally what a Lyft driver said to us when we were in San Diego. Yeah. He was a transplant, like many people are in California. And, uh, you know, we're just making small talk. He asked us where we were from. And he was talking about getting out of San Diego because he hates it there. He's like, yeah, I'm thinking of moving to, like, uh, what do you call, like, that place, like, that area that's, like, <laughs> like you just said, like, between <laughs> Florida and New York or whatever. I was so frozen in that moment, too. I was just like, <laughs> you were very helpful. You were like, East Coast? <laughs> he was like, yeah, that's it. Oh, my God. He was talking specifically about Providence, Rhode Island. He was also talking about how he hated, like, the cold. And it's like, eh, I don't know if you want to go to Providence, Rhode Island, buddy. But Yeah, he was like, is it cold there? Yeah. Like, how cold is it? And I think he had this impression that, like, the East Coast climate is kind of like the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And that it's, like, all pretty temperate. Like, it's not that cold on the on the West Coast. Right. I mean, it's a big difference between, like, Portland and or Seattle and San Diego. But, like, even, like, Portland's not, like, cold like Maine is. Mm-hmm. I think he just thought the East Coast was kind of similar. Right. Which is a segue into, like, the culture of California. Yeah. There's a lot of confusion among Californians (laughs) about the rest of America. Which is weird because, like, as I just mentioned, a lot of people there are transplants. Yeah. I think something happens to your memory, like a men in black thing when you move out there. Like just all, seem to have, like no understanding of the rest of the country. It's yeah. so insular, right? The weather is a huge part of that. Everyone's so into the climate there, and are just like mystified by the idea of like cold or snow, or wondering just like how people could possibly live in it. Yeah, how and why? Right? Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> it's like it is uh, a tenth as expensive to live in Ohio as it is in San Diego. So, I mean, that might have something to do with it. Yeah. Um, And also, it's like, to me, it's boring when the weather's the same all the time. Yeah. And you don't have seasons. Another Lyft driver we're trying to do is like, yeah, you just don't even notice the weather anymore because it's always the same. So you don't appreciate a nice day. And he said, like, time goes by really fast too because you don't have those markers of the seasons just like each day kind of flows into the next one right like oh i would hate that it was the saddest thing i heard somebody say on our trip i mean most people (laughs) i think californians are into their state i mean they went there they're transplants for a reason and we talk to people like our friends who have no intention of leaving anytime soon which is cool but to hear somebody say that, that just like it, it fucks with your perception of time. Yeah. That suddenly time, which we all know is fleeting, is suddenly even more so. It's just yeah. like, damn. Maybe I, maybe I, I, you know, don't mind being frozen for months at a time. <laughs> I uh, was talking to my mom about this the other day because she was born in Michigan and then her 
family moved her out to Cal to San Diego when she was 14 and then she lived there for 20 years and then moved back to Michigan never really liked it out there although she like made the best of it and like made a lot of friends and stuff but she's definitely a midwesterner um but she was lamenting like how the weather's always the same out there and we were just talking about how like the seasons really ground you in a way and like make you feel like can more connected to nature in a way and to like the passage of time because you're like going through those changes with the weather in a way you know like i don't know i just find so much of my lifestyle changes with the seasons Mm -hmm. from like the things i eat the clothes i wear the activities i do the music i listen to whether i'm more like outgoing and doing stuff outdoors and being active versus like staying inside and being more of a homebody um yeah i don't know we're not really we're getting off topic because we're not talking Dude. music right now but <laughs> this i'm supposed to be about the weather i do want to like tie that into like what defines like the california sound like yes. california, there's so much great music out of california it's ridiculous yeah. Yeah. um i mean it's a huge state it's there's a ton of people there a lot of big cities so it makes sense. Um, but yeah, we listened to a lot of California music. You made like three different playlists. That's right. Because we were doing a road trip. So we flew into San Francisco, rented a car. We spent a little, like a day in San Francisco, basically. And then drove down the coast to San Diego for my mom's birthday party. Um, and on the way, we stopped in, let's see, Santa Cruz. Um, oh, we did Muir Woods, too, before we left San Francisco. We did uh, Monterey and Carmel, Big Sur, San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, uh, L.A., San Diego, did I miss anything? That was it. It was a lot. That was mm-hmm. a lot for a week. But anyway, so we were driving quite a bit. And um, as you like to do, you made <laughs> way too many playlists. Yes. Probably more than 30 hours worth of playlists altogether. <laughs> yeah. One of them was specifically California artists. One of them was specifically songs about california of which there are myriad but some of them by california artists and some of them not and then the other was kind of a generic road trip playlist just for good times and driving in the sun complete with um feeling you by uh uh what's michelle her name? branch michelle Santana. fucking branch yeah <laughs> yeah i've been really into that song lately i don't know where that came from but <laughs> <laughs> um i mean i i I get it when we were driving and we actually got some nice weather when we were there before we were there there was floods in san diego and after we were there there was torrential rain all throughout southern california but the space that we were there was kind of nice it was great michelle branch driving weather yeah which was cool even though every person we came across was like 
oh i'm sorry about the weather like is your trip been ruined by the weather yeah. and we're like what are you talking about like it's right. like fantastic right or they'd be like oh it's so cold here and it'd be like 60 and sunny you're like what yeah like do you yeah. know what ohio is like in yeah january yeah anyway yeah <laughs> so yeah we we, we listen to a huge variety of california music and there's really every genre like there's all the west coast rap there's all the like 60s and 70s like hippie like jam band classic rock stuff um there's a lot of like 90s 2000s rock music that's kind of pop punk um or rap rock yeah um there's a super influential like la r&b scene in the mid 20th century i'm reading a book about it right now by johnny otis so there's all the like hardcore bands from yes la and the bay area they had a huge punk scene too the bay area yeah yeah it's kind of funny because it's a huge state. There's a ton of people and I don't want to diminish the achievements of California musically because it's, it's really impressive. And I believe that more after listening to these playlists, like, uh, I mean, fucking CCR is from California, you know, fucking, I mean, Warren Zevon wasn't born there, but he made his best music there. You know, Fleetwood Mac made their best music in LA it's just, it's really impressive, uh, fucking Beck. Um, at the same time, I feel like there's certain tropes of California music that I became aware of, like as I was listening and I was, I was doing research. And I think they kind of relate to what you were talking about with mm. the weather. Okay. And like almost like a sense of life that's sort of separate from cycles. What I'm trying to say is so much of their music is just like dumb party music and it's just about like hedonism. Yeah, just having it's, a it's, good time. It's crazy how much like even those different genres are united by that idea. Yeah. Um, you know, the Van Halen, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but, you know, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg are the same way. Um, Motley Crue. There's like this sort of meatheadedness, eh. which is, I mean, obviously can be really, really fun and yeah. great for vacations. Um, but it's also like, I, I understand uh, a lot of those bands, a lot of the artists from California are sort of like divi- divisive among uh, like critics and stuff. And I can, I can sort of understand why. Yeah. I mean, even like the 60s, 70s stuff, which is kind of like, where people were talking about a lot of social issues and, you know, like deeper things, talking about like spirituality and life and death and stuff. But a lot of that stuff coming out of California is just kind of, it just feels kind of um, just silly and like. Maybe a little superficial. Superficial, that, yeah. Know. And just like, yeah, peace and love. Like. Life, life is groovy, you know, that kind of feeling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, the sun's shining, isn't maybe it, man? That's, maybe that's the, the one word that sums up California is groovy. Groovy. Yeah, for better or worse, it's yeah. groovy, man. And it's, 
I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, we had a blast. Like, we both loved it. Mm-hmm. When you're there, you're kind of like, well, when you don't live in California, you hear about all the shit that happens in California with like the wildfires, the floods, the landslides. Yeah. The, you can't even walk in San Francisco anymore the... without a homeless person uh, putting his penis in your face or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Drugs and homelessness, uh, just the cost of housing. And you think, like, why would anyone want to live there? But then when you're there, it's like, oh, this is a paradise. Like, why it, doesn't why doesn't yeah. everyone live here? It's pretty apparent why people why people want to live there. Yeah. When you're there. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Yeah. The weather is great. Um it's got it's got it all. It's got the the ocean, the mountains, the desert. Don't forget the babes. <laughs> the babes. It's got the babes. The hot surfer dudes. <laughs> the wildlife, like all the national parks, all the like sea life. Like we were just seeing like fucking otters and seals everywhere and stuff. Like not even looking for it. We'd just be like, oh shit, there's an otter. It's incredible. And they got like all the vineyards that grow like all kinds of produce out there. It just, it does feel like a paradise. But then, you know, the reality sets in. You think about all the problems. Yeah. And is, California's history is really dark. I did a lot of reading about it, like during the vacation and leading up to it. You know, it's some of the music reflects that too. There's yeah. like that tension. Um, maybe the doors are like the most obvious example of that. <laughs> <laughs> or like a band like X. Yeah, definitely. It's like, you know, a punk band that like, talks about the the idealism that people have or like the how they want things to be perfect but how it's can lead to like racism and stuff. yes yes just like the noir sensibility too i mean there's a reason why like noir as like an idea starts in la and it's connected to the vision of California as like a place of dreams. It's like people who live there and been there for a while are like, well, it's not quite that, you know, yeah. there's like, there's problems. Um, yeah. Some of the music reflects that too. Some of it is just really dippy. Yeah. I do think like it was cool when we went to LA because it was pretty seedy, like, from what we saw. We stayed in the West Hollywood. Or, we, I don't think we were in West Hollywood. We were just in Hollywood. Yeah, we were but probably we, closer to, like, East Hollywood, honestly. But we went to West Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, for the evening. And, um, yeah, in Hollywood, it's just, like, quite seedy. And, you know, like, People talk about how like the best music comes out of places that are where life is kind of hard, you know, whether it's like the weather or the economy or whatnot. Like people find they use the music as like a solace for the difficult things that they're facing in their city. Um, and I think that's why a lot of great music comes out of L.A. Because it's not, like, beautiful and shiny and wonderful like some other places seem in California. Like, you can mm-hmm. see, like, 
the seediness, the darkness there. Right. For sure. I mean, we like being in Monterey and Santa Barbara, but like have any good bands or rappers or singer songwriters come from those cities? I don't I don't really know of any, you know. Yeah. Where meanwhile fucking Compton has just produced an extraordinary amount of right. like, talent. Yeah, exactly. Studio Compton. Yeah. You know this well. Having Speaking watched of, yeah. having watched Friday and straight out of Compton <laughs> on the floor. Yeah, on the flight there. Uh, it was a pretty long flight, and we got, like, free streaming. So I watched Friday by Ice Cube, written and, and starred by. And because uh, I'd never seen it, and I always wanted to see it. And I was like, we're going to L.A. This is a good opportunity to, like, watch something that from that area. It was great. It was really funny. It's a good plane movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something light and funny, but but also dark. I mean, it takes place in Compton. Yeah, it's all about how he has to like find money to pay this drug dealer, or he's gonna get killed in a drive-by, uh, and almost does. So, but yeah, and then I watched um, Straight Outta Compton on the way home. So there was a lot of Ice Cube on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> the whole flights for me. <laughs> well, Ice Cube himself is not actually, I mean, he's a character in Straight Outta Compton, but it's right, his son right. who plays him, right? Yeah. yeah. Is it his son? <sighs> I think Dr. so. Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre's son plays Dr. Dre. Oh, maybe I got that wrong then. But I don't think Ice Cube's son plays him. Okay. Timothy Chalamet but... plays Ice Cube, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, he's a great actor. Yeah. When you but were yeah. watching Friday, sorry, I know we're not a, a movie podcast, but I just, I was looking around. We were on a fancy plane because we were doing a coast-to-coast flight and people had a screen in front of them and a lot of people were watching movies. And Friday just looked like the best movie. I mean, just like on a shot by shot level, like the way colors looked <laughs> in it. I was like, this looks like an actual fucking movie. Like yeah. every other movie I was surrounded with looked like utter shit. So yeah. good for Friday. It, it really does just feel so real. Yeah. And I think it was really just like grassroots, like low budget. It was just like Ice Cube wrote the scripts and. Mm-hmm. It was just all like his ideas, like loosely based on his life. And um, it just feels very like grounded in reality. I mean, it's a comedy, so it's like, it's, you know, there's like fantastical elements. Not fantastical, but it like, it, you know, there's things that are, like parodic, em- embellished. Yeah. I don't know that word, but sure. Um, but yeah, it just it, it feels very like real and grounded, which I appreciate. Them hoes love high dough. Drinking in the sea on stage, house blows, huh? Cause California is for gangsters. California is for gangsters. California is for gangsters. California. California is for gangsters. California is for gangsters. 
Yeah, did we have any good um, musical moments? Or, uh, like, musical um, landmarks that we saw in California? Yeah, I think, like, the majority of music stuff we did was when we were in Los Angeles. Because that's kind of how we wanted to structure that part of the trip. Mm-hmm. In other parts of the trip, it was like, oh, let's look at uh, sea lion, elephant seals for an hour, <laughs> you know? Yeah. L.A. is obviously so notoriously uh, sprawling and, like, hard to navigate on foot. And we tried to just sort of condense it somehow. So we were walking through Hollywood. We went to the Forever Cemetery. And we saw the graves of two Ramones there. Yeah. Johnny was buried there. And uh, apparently Chris Cornell was so moved by his ceremony that he was like, I want to be buried there. And, you know, tragically, he uh, he died just a couple of years ago and his grave is right next to Johnny's. Mm-hmm. And then Didi Ramon is there as well. Uh, his grave is a little less elaborate, but that kind of suits Didi, I think. <laughs> It was like the the gaudiest cemetery I've ever been to. Like right. it just felt so Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> There's like the the graves are just a lot of them are like statues of the people who died. A lot of them are engraved like with a draw like a sketch or whatever of like the person's face of who died. Whatever you call that. Yeah. An etching. Um, and there's just a lot of like, sorry, there's a lot of like, a lot of huge graves and graves that are like shaped like objects and stuff. Right. (laughs) Or just like quotes that just sort of kind of like goofy. Yeah. And then there's like peacocks roaming around in there. Yeah. It's just very Hollywood. But it it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. I, we have a habit of like checking out cemeteries every time we go on vacation. Every yeah. time we go to a new city, it's kind of a weird habit of ours. But I really enjoy it. I think it makes sense. It's free. You yeah. get a good walk in. You get a feel in touch with an area's history a little bit, and you yeah. get to reflect on you know life and stuff too. Yeah. We don't spend all of our time in graveyards on vacation, but like, (laughs) I don't know. We're not like doing seances in there. No, we're not doing witchy stuff. But but yeah, are are we like opening a map up and being like, where's the crypt of Mickey Rooney at? Yeah, we are doing that. Yeah, totally. So, (laughs) yeah, we saw a lot of actors' graves, but not a not a ton of musicians. Right. The Ramones that you mentioned, Chris Cornell. Right. I'm trying to think if there were other musicians we saw. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm going to fuck this up. The guy who just died, who was in like um, uh, Mark Lanigan, is like another kind of grunge era guy um, who's buried there. But again, it's it's a recent thing, I think, for musicians to, to want to be interred there. Like, mm-hmm. It's it's obviously a great place if you're a movie star. I don't think it was until the Ramones that like other people had that idea, and I really don't know why the Ramones wanted to be there. Yeah, 
a good question. Uh, obviously, like, you know, they're icons. Like, uh, it, it, it makes sense that they're there among Hollywood's elite. Like, there's some of the greatest cultural exports in American history. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. And then we did the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Which I, in the middle of it, realized I'd done before when I was a kid, but totally forgotten about. But I just got that sense of, like, I feel like I've been here before. I've done this. And then I, like, confirmed with my mom that I did, in fact, do it. But that is just, um, I thought it was really overrated. It's very, the like, the par- the main part where, like, the Chinese theater is, the TCL theater it's just very um, like busy and touristy. Yeah, it feels kind of like Times Square, but like LA style. Which is to say, shittier. Yeah, and then the parts outside of that like get really seedy, and you're just looking at like stars with celebrities' names on them. Right. <laughs> it's not. It's really not interesting. Stars that people can apparently <laughs> buy for like twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah it is overrated as like an attraction and it's just weird too to just be strolling along and just looking at your feet looking at these names as the city goes by yeah you really feel like a tourist yeah it was just a bizarre scene i mean we were there at night and on uh i think that's hollywood boulevard right we went to amoeba records and that was rad yeah um you know, check that out if you're in LA. Yeah, it's obviously. fucking huge. Yeah. It's overwhelming. It's it, incredible. Yeah, that's absolutely uh, worth it if you at all care about that stuff. Like, for example, if you're listening to this podcast. But then, like, the, the Walk of Fame is just, yeah, nothing great. And it takes you down Hollywood Boulevard. And there was a lot of people hanging out. Just, like walking around and the streets are really busy of course there's like no fucking public transportation in california it's all people in cars so there was all this like action going on but you were kind of like for what like all the shops on the side of the street are just like smoke shops and like shitty looking liquor stores and like terrible souvenir shops just really weird and then you get to the the chinese theater finally um and you get to see people's hands in cement and yeah that's kind of fun i guess yeah that was that was kind of fun but again it's it's not really worth the trouble of like getting out there right i don't know i mean i guess like we did it and we can say that we're saying yeah. it now <laughs> uh, yeah we went down to the sunset strip too and i mean it was kind of the same sort of feeling for me where I know you had had a vision of doing a walking tour there, and we had sort of ended up doing it on our own terms, just kind of pointing out various music landmarks. Yeah, there was this, um, there's this tour guide who's a local of West Hollywood, and he, he's a musician, and he apparently, like, knows everybody on the Sunset Strip, and he does these walking tours that are, like, three hours long, like, 10,000 steps. (laughs) <laughs> just seeing like these really like massive walking tours but people just rave about them because they say like he just knows everybody he knows so many stories of like rock legends 
who hung out in these spots and like their crazy hijinks. And then because he knows everybody, he can like bring you into places that are otherwise private and closed off to the public. So you kind of get the inside scoop. Um, but unfortunately he was not doing the tour the day we were there. So I just found like the self-guided tour on a website that had like maybe 15 spots on it along the sunset strip. It was like a mile walk. And then we just kind of like found them on the map and walked by and read about what the places were. Um, but I, you hear so much about like the sunset strip and like, all the celebrities hanging out there and how legendary it is. We were there on a Thursday and a Thursday evening. It just felt really dead to me. Yeah. Like I'm sure it's, it's not what it used to be like in its heyday. It was probably like just wild, like in the seventies and eighties. And uh, it's just not like that anymore because people know about it and it's touristy and stuff. Um, but they say the reason it like that was the cool spot was because these celebrities would work in Hollywood and they would live in Beverly Hills. The Sunset Strip was in between. So it was like on the way home from work, you would stop there. And that's where you could hang out, get a drink and right. socialize with fellow celebrities. There's something so people. California about that where this legendary spot was just sort of a, a stop along a commute and or it's yeah. very LA to me. Yeah. And it still kind of felt like that where when we were in San Francisco, for example, I mean, it's not like the way it was in the sixties or seventies. It's obviously been gentrified and it's so expensive, but I still felt some magic there. I was like, well, maybe it's different now, but I can understand what would attract somebody. Yeah, it still feels artsy. And it was surprisingly still felt like bohemian to me in a way that I didn't expect it to. Because I thought, you know, it's Silicon Valley. It's just so expensive. Yeah. Um, You just imagine, like, all the interesting stuff has kind of been wiped clean. Yeah. But it still still felt artsy and bohemian to me. Some of it was just, like, there were green spaces everywhere. And there was so many people just chilling we went to that one park and there was like hundreds of people reading i was like what is going on (laughs) like i've never seen more than like three people read even in a fucking library before um so like they that i i agree with you about that being surprising but like you go to the sunset strip and it was it was hard to even envision like oh yeah this is where uh robert plant said he was a golden god or whatever i was like what really Right, yeah. Yeah, and there there just weren't a lot of people out, like, people walking around. Um, Yeah, it just felt pretty quiet and dead. But then, like, you hear these stories, it's like, yeah, this is where, like, half the stories are, like, uh, I don't know, like, well, not half, like, all of them are about, like, rock stars just being assholes. Just, and, like, just like Jim Morrison pissing himself. Yeah, most of them involve Jim Morrison. Um, just Jim Morrison, like... Horrible debauchery. Walking on a balcony on, like, the 13th floor of a building, like, barefoot, like... Walking on, like, the railing of a balcony. I yeah. mean... Um, People throwing TVs out of hotel rooms. Right. Stuff like that. <laughs> it's just, 
like it's the the part of rock and roll that i hate you know right i love i love the music i love i love the figures insofar as like they're incredible artists when they have like incredible visions when they're artistic they have interesting ideas and like deep thoughts about social issues or just like the big questions of what it is to be a human and stuff but i just hate like the idolization of them as like rock gods and them just acting the, like the, the celebrity like, shit yeah just being like just being really disrespectful and shitty and like acting like a toddler um and that was the vibe we got from the stories on the sunset strip right just, like where rock where rock and rollers hang out to just piss on stuff yeah and throw stuff out a window <laughs> it hasn't aged well that stuff it feels distinct like some of that music really has but some of those stories just feel so like distinctly boomer it's just like okay this was the kind of thing the a horrible way you could treat somebody and you'd get away with it you'd make a million dollars for like throwing up on somebody or whatever uh, yeah um. Yeah, we did go to the um, the Rainbow Room, which yeah. was a legendary bar and restaurant, bar and grill, where celebrities hung out, um, musicians mostly. Um, we sat in the booth by a, a photo of Brett Michaels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, like, it used to be, like, in the beginning, it was, like, cool musicians, like, John Lennon hung out there. Uh, Perry Nilsson. Harry Nelson. Keith Moon. Alice Cooper. Yeah. Uh, I don't even, I don't even remember. Lots of people. Yeah. And then in the 80s, it was just all the like hair band guys, like Brett Michaels, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like Lemmy, <laughs> like later on, just like adopted as his like, hangout spot. I like this bar. Yeah. <laughs> So now it's just like now like I don't think any celebrities hang out there anymore because it's like a tourist attraction. Um, it's just one of those places like darkly lit and there's like photos of celebrities all over the place who've been there. But like half the stuff is Lemmy stuff. Yeah. And like one of the rooms is called Lemmy's Lounge. Yeah. And they were playing the worst music in there and it was so loud yeah and it was just like just like screamo it was just like so abrasive and like i mean i love aggressive music but this was like too much and it was so loud and it was really unpleasant. It was fucking terrible. It was the worst music I've ever encountered in a public space. Yeah. It was nonstop. Yeah. It was so loud. Yeah. They had a touch tunes in there. And I remember trying to play, I don't know, like the, the wimpiest song imaginable. Like My Baby Loves Lovin' <laughs> or something like that. And it, they wouldn't play it. They just had to continue playing their screamo shit. Yeah. And then like all the waitresses in there were like beautiful and like... We were reading that there was a lawsuit because, like, Ron Jeremy used to, like, frequent there. Hmm. And he was, like, would allegedly, like, come in and then, like, sexually harass the, like, wait staff there. Uh, so that was an icky vibe. <laughs> um, 
It's a damn shame because like but the I pizza like those red was vinyl great. seats, you know? Yeah, and the pizza was great. Pizza was on point. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was just the beer was fun, really but expensive, like... but that was every single fucking place in California. Well, yeah. Fifteen dollar yeah. pints there. Unreal. Yeah. But it was it was just cool to just be in that place and know like just try to picture like all these celebrities coming in there hanging out. Mm-hmm. Where like the Rolling Stones would hang out there too. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um we tried to go to Barney's Beanery. <laughs> There's another place that a lot of musicians would hang out in. Yeah. And if you're familiar with the song Lonesome LA Cowboy, he talks about going to Barney's Beanery. Which we did not think was a real place until we were taking this trip and Oh. It's fucking real. <laughs> it's real and it's crazy. It it's like the crazy. most happening bar in LA. Yeah, it was like the one bar that we saw that was just like packed to the gills and we were like, Oh no, thank you. And it was all like young, beautiful people trying to get in there. Um Yeah, Barney's Beanery still going strong yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh one thing we noticed um i guess like in la just in in california more broadly it was just how uh people do recognize and appreciate california music i think they are proud of it yeah we went to that bar As should be. in monterey it was like a 90s alt station, but it is funny just how much of that music is California music. Um, you know, uh, Weezer and uh, Green Day and No Doubt and Sublime, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, even the whole album Celebrity Skin. Like, there's just so the much of the 90s sound is a California and... sound. Offspring, yeah. Blink-182, are they from I think they California? are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, truly, like, some of the shittiest genres, like pop punk, like, most of their practitioners. Second wave yeah. ska, or third wave ska, most of the practitioners come from California, too. A lot of, like, music you can skateboard to. Yes, yeah. Tony Hawk pro skater, mm-hmm. same songs. Right, not a coincidence, too, because, I mean, we were in Santa Cruz, like, we were in the birthplaces of skateboarding in this trip, too. Yeah, so. yeah and, like, in surf rock, too. I mean, I thought that was really cool. I love when places are proud of their homegrown music. And it was enjoyable for me to, like, go to these places and hear California music. Because I'm like, all right, like, I'm in California. Yeah. Listening to the music that comes from here. I think if I lived there, though, like, I would get really sick of it. <laughs> because <laughs> it's not my favorite music. Mm. Like, the all those artists you were just describing. And, uh... It is just all that vibe you were talking about. Yeah. like, good times. Like, music to chill to. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, like, weed smoking music, too, which is not my scene. We were walking in San Francisco the first night of our trip, and there was a guy on a bike or a scooter who was, like, blasting Soul Kitchen by the doors and also just singing (laughs) it loudly. He's like, I wouldn't want to stay there all night. I was like, this is a California guy right here. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a cool moment. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, one thing we saw to sorry to go back to San Francisco though. Yeah, yeah. 
But we um, we went to this one neighborhood. And I forget what it's called, but it was like very bohemian. Are you talking about Haight Ashbury or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we saw um, Janice Joplin's house, mm-hmm. and we saw the Grateful Dead's house, yep. which were like right across the street from each other, like yeah. very close walking distance. Um, really, just a classic San Francisco architecture. Yeah. Um, and so expensive now. So Janice Joplin's actually, house is for sale. The, yeah, Janice Joplin's house is for sale. Which is, I mean, it's so cool. You could just buy that house, but you have to be fucking really rich to buy it because it was for sale for what, like three million dollars, something like that. Yeah, like yeah, which is crazy. Yeah, and we're we're probably not talking like state of the art, um, you know, (laughs) like facilities or whatever. Right. (laughs) Like it's a fixer upper. It's the house Janis Joplin lived in. For fuck's sake. Like uh, oh, I'm sure I don't she know. Wrecked it. I bet it's I bet it's been renovated. Yeah, 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 a little bit. It still looks that house looks rad. The Grateful Dead house, you would just have no idea. You would just yeah. think it's just another San Francisco house, um, which is to say, a really nice house in a nice neighborhood now. But back in the day, apparently that's where they hung out. Um, it's just wild. Like that's where all these artists hung out. Yeah, the artists cannot afford that now. No, it's just it's changed so much. No, it's really a shame. It tells you something too. Not not to go like down this path, and I think we've gone down it before. But I mean, music scenes really need space. I think, and it helps to have like genuine environments, like people hanging out, like like houses that are affordable walkable neighborhoods or just like accessible neighborhoods uh bars restaurants clubs whatever that are like not forbidding like that's the stuff that enables scenes like why did so much creativity happen in san francisco well i mean like rents were like really cheap at that time you know and like all these talented people like live there because no other place would have them and they'd made great music there you just can't yeah. imagine it now. I mean, it's not like there's still great music coming out of San Francisco, I'm sure. And I'm sure there's still like powerful scenes there as well. But definitely not that neighborhood anymore, man. It's 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 something else. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is I'm not ready to segue yet. Yeah. But it is a great segue into like meet me in the bathroom and like Brooklyn yes. was that area for New York City. You know, yes. that's where all the the cool creative people live because there are all these yes. like abandoned warehouses that people could meet yes. and like jam at and stuff. And then it just got like all those buildings got bulldozed and renovated, like turned into really expensive apartments and yeah. all the cool people had to move out. Yeah. So stay, stay tuned, everybody. We're going to get to the East coast in a little <laughs> bit here. We'll yeah. have more to say about gentrification and such. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, other music things in California. We saw um, the figure eight wall, the cover of the Elliot Smith album. It's yeah. like a black, white, and red mural. That it's a mural. For the what cover. is it like? A it's like a hardware store or something, right? Or like a tool well, now shop? Now it's like a now it's like a coffee shop or like a bar or something. Okay. And they like took half of it down to make a window or something, and 
Yeah. I don't know. People were outraged, so they, like, painted it back on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just, like, I don't know. It's not, like, the original authentic mural, but it's still somewhat there. Right. And it was, like, fairly close to where we were staying. So we're, like, we got to go there. We got to pay our respects. That was where people congregated after he died. Right. Um, and people went there to mourn his death and leave candles and flowers and nice notes people wrote on the wall and stuff. Um, there's not much of that anymore, but there were still a few writings on the wall of people who were paying their respects to Elliot. Right. And then there are people who are just writing dumb shit because yeah. they didn't know what the wall was for. For a good time, goal. I yeah. have a feeling Elliot would appreciate that stuff too, though. <laughs> Yeah, there's something move, moving about that place as like a as like a, a pilgrimage site because it is like there's like a McDonald's. We we're in a McDonald's parking lot when we walk to it. It's yeah. not this like hollowed ground. It's very much just like in the city, off of yeah. the street, and it's not like spectacular to look at. But you're like, oh fuck, man, this is you know <laughs> he was here this is like one of the yeah. one of the great album covers was shot and you could you know? picture him hanging out there absolutely but just being in LA i mean you just to me i just got a sense of like this was a terrible place for him to be <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure he was like attracted to to like the darkness of it mm-hmm. <laughs> um the parts that are dark you know and subversive the noir sensibility yeah Yeah. but i mean he's from like gloomy portland where like people would just seem more like down to earth and into nature and stuff and like hanging out in coffee shops and playing acoustic guitar he's not the type that wants to like go to glitzy clubs and hang out with celebrities or yeah What's your favorite line like, in his song, L.A.? The Oh, cars parked in the sun. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's his vision of Southern California. Yeah, it's just such a, it's such a like, short, simple line, but mm-hmm. just, like, it's, it sums up a lot. Um, yeah, I guess, like, his Portland friends said that his L.A. friend, they really didn't like his L.A. friends and, like, hmm. thought they were bad, a bad influence on him. And, of course, that's where he was doing a lot of drugs. Um, but, yeah, just really, just doesn't seem like his vibe there. From yeah. All these Hollywood freaks. Yeah. But it was cool to see that spot. And there was, like, in the, in the sidewalk, somebody had written... XO Elliot. Yeah. The cement. So that was nice. Yeah. Somebody had written Coast to Coast somewhere, too. Oh, yeah. Maybe yeah, they yeah. did. Which is the name of this episode. Damn right. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, get, we have to mention our theme song for our trip. Oh, my God. Yeah. I can't believe we've gone this long. <laughs> so. I wish we, we got to start doing this on every trip because I really like this practice of just like starting each day with like a, a theme song that kind of like sums up the vibe of the trip. Cause it just kind of, you know, it reminds you like you're on vacation. It's a new day. Seize the day. Mm-hmm. So for our vacation, we 
selected the song California by Phantom Planet, which was the famously the theme song to uh, the OC. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous the way he yells California. Here we come. Kind of like he's crying. Yeah. But it was a it was like a great way for us to just like scream each morning and yeah. get psyched yeah. to be in California. It helps you, yeah, exactly, to get into the state when you're yelling California. California. Here we go. <laughs> Oh god. I think you just like fucked up all of our listeners' ears just now. <laughs> our poor listeners. <laughs> yeah. I learned to really love that song over the course of the trip too. It's so corny. I think it might be a power pop uh masterpiece, actually. <laughs> the contrast between the just uh again just way too dramatic chorus and the little uh intro and like interstitial like gentle piano parts uh it's really it's really effective i think (laughs) i think you're hyping this up way too much (laughs) 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 yeah that was part of the retinue I don't know that that whole like songs about California playlist was was fun. There's there's no other state that has so many songs about it, right? Yeah. Or songs about Los Angeles especially, but there's San Francisco songs too, and there's so many songs about Hollywood. Um, well, so many of the musicians are from California, and then so many who aren't from California like move there or spend a lot of time there tour there whatever so a lot of them like have time reflecting on what california is like or la or whatever right so many songs about la are about how it sucks i think it's just so funny like most songs about new york city are are even if they acknowledge the badness or like hey you still can't beat it baby it's the big apple (laughs) but like yeah so many la songs are just like making fun of it um like the elliot smith song i love la by randy newman los angeles by x um yeah just like there's like that bitterness there never rains in southern california right yeah right another good segue yeah (laughs) i'm not ready to go yet though i'm not ready to go is in the strokes but anyway i'm not ready to go damn it that's that's fine yeah (laughs) Seems it never rains in Southern California. Seems I've often heard that kind of talk before. It never rains in California. But girl, don't they warn ya? It I got I got two more things I have to mention yeah, while we're still hanging right. out on the West Coast. Okay, so first thing is just like a a, a short observation slash rant. We checked into the uh, Hollywood Historic Hotel, <laughs> which was yeah. nice. And what were we saying? They were just playing like old school like R and B songs, and they played Little Richard, 
And that got us talking with the, the guy who was checking us in. And how do you how do he put it to you? He was saying something like, well, he who was would like, be He was like, you know who this is? And you were like, yeah, little Richard. And he just seemed really impressed with that. And yeah. Like, wow. You know that? So then we were just talking music. Yeah. And then, um, you know, he kept throwing out like different questions and stuff. And then he was like, if you could like have dinner with like any musician, like dead or alive, who would it be? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, my favorite musician of all time is Paul McCartney. So maybe Paul McCartney. And he was like, ew, I don't like that answer. Like, Paul McCartney sucks. He's boring. (laughs) And then he was like, yeah, my favorite Beatle is George Harrison. Which is just like, oof. Every time somebody says that, which I hear all the fucking time so many people said george harrison is their favorite beetle i just know like they're yeah. not a, a yeah. big beatles fan yeah yeah this guy was so out like, of his element it's such a way to just like show like you're not that into the beatles right well it's funny because like it's done to obviously nobody wants to demonstrate their ignorance you say that you're a fan of george to indicate that you're kind of a deep person right yeah he was even saying like yeah george is he was the authentic one right yeah he said he was the authentic like contrasting with paul who i guess is like a big faker (laughs) right he was like yeah paul only writes songs like about like banana boats and stuff yeah we're like what are you talking what what? (laughs) he was like yeah you know that banana boat song you know banana boat what are you talking about i think he was thinking of yellow submarine which is like, I don't know. first of all, great. Second of all, I mean, Paul did write it as like a children's song for like Ringo to sing. But, you know, that's like one song right. in a massive corpus. It has nothing to do with fucking banana boats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think, I mean, I, we were talking about this earlier. Like, I understand why people like George because... I think he's just like he has a, a a likable mystique to him. Yes, like he was the the quiet beetle. He was very spiritual. He got kind of shit on by John and Paul because absolutely they, didn't, they just kind of like wrote off a lot of his music and they like, treated no. him like a junior member. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think people like empathize with that, and like if you're like kind of a quiet like introspective person you relate to him i mean i remember when i first was getting into the beatles like he was my favorite um for those reasons and i also just thought he was very attractive so that probably has something to do with it got those eyes <laughs> he was a, a bilf as your brother famously said legendary <laughs> in your guys's podcast yeah um but then like once i got to know the beatles more and like understand like who wrote what you realize like he only wrote 10 percent of their songs roughly mm-hmm. and they're not the best 10 percent. no i'm not gonna say they're the worst 10 percent, but they're certainly not as good as like the average paul or john songs right I mean, here's like a, a little experiment you can do if like you're a George fan and you feel like he is the best Beatle. Uh, look at any Beatles album <laughs> and then look at who wrote which songs. Like, actually read the credits. Don't just vibe it out. Like, and then tell me which songs you think are best. So with yeah. Let It Be, do you think I Me Mine is better than I Got a Feeling? That's just not true. Like, 
You would be wrong. You'd be wrong. I love fucking For You, Blue. I do. But, like, that puts me in a minority here. It's obviously one of, like, the lesser songs on that record. (laughs) The one album where you might be like, yeah, he wrote the best songs. I mean, Abbey Road, he wrote Here Comes the Sun and Something, which are incredible tunes. That's the kind of level that George, like, rarely hit in the Beatles. Yeah. And I love George Harrison. I don't mean to shit on George Harrison. I'm just like... It's gone too far, man. When yeah. I got people at hotels being like, Paul McCartney sucks, unlike George. I'm like, what the fuck has happened with the world? How can anyone possibly say <laughs> right. this? Like, yeah. Yeah. I did not like that. <laughs> and then literally yesterday I was driving home from work. I heard uh, I got my mind set on you on the radio. And then afterward... The DJ was like saying, Oh, that was I got my mind sending you about George Harrison, my favorite Beatle. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> it's like, stop. It's, it's such a hilarious song to say that George is your favorite Beatle, too. Like, afterward, <laughs> like yeah. that great one, like <laughs> that, that deep song that you just heard. <laughs> yeah, that was by my favorite Beatle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's song. again, if you're, if you're going off of like, just what you know about his personality and his vibe and that's right he's the one he vibe with most like i totally get that like right. that makes sense though as but uh, if you're saying like he he's the best songwriter on the beatles or he's your favorite songwriter on the beatles like no you're no right you just you're just not a, a huge beatles fan and that's right. fine right but that's like fine. if you're gonna say that he's your favorite like i'm just gonna see right through it right right or <laughs> and I'm never gonna tell somebody that to their face. That's why I'm having this rant with you right now. Yeah, <laughs> because we just gotta get it off. This is face. gonna be horrifying to our listeners. They're gonna be like, "But, <laughs> but, but George is my favorite." I mean, I don't doubt. Like, there probably are people out there who are huge Beatles fans that like yeah. really do love George and like they love all things must pass and like his solo right. stuff. And, and they can appreciate just like. His fucking incredible and distinctive guitar solos. Yeah. You know, like he obviously brings a ton to the band. Yeah. Uh, I I respect, I respect people with those opinions. It's just like. But I don't respect the people who just really don't know. And they're just like saying that opinion just to like sound kind of edgy. Yeah. Because it's like they're saying it because they want to be different. You know, like, well, everybody likes Paul and John, but I like George because I'm different. I think there's also this perception that like, well, John was a bad person and Hey Georgie. Um, and, and Paul probably wasn't good either. And Ringo's Ringo, but George was nice. I think people right, think yeah. that too. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I don't have like really incriminating shit on George, you know, <laughs> to tell you all I can say is this dude, his best friend was Eric Clapton for years. Okay. <laughs> like what does that say about a person? Like yeah. if they choose to hang out with, Mr. Uh, Wogs go home, Eric Clapton. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody who says Ringo's their favorite Beatle has my undying respect and admiration. I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) That's when you know that. uh, That's a true head. That's a true head. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The last thing I wanted to say about the West Coast was just, like, the Beach Boys, but I gotta save that for another episode. We really need to do, like, a Summer Beach Boys episode. I feel like we've been talking about doing a Beach Boys episode for, like, a year. Yeah. Dude, 
it's a if they're just like a a very they're gonna be very fun to dig into i read a biography of them called heroes and villains um partly on the plane and then after we got home from the trip i finished it and uh Maybe like the darkest rock and roll story I've ever read. Uh, you and, and just you would not expect that, given that all their songs are about like burgers and stuff. But yeah, yeah, just uh, truly fucked up from top to bottom. Like every single so, member of the band and every single person who was in their orbit was just like completely fucked up in one way or the other. That's really yeah. interesting, given like all the other things we said about California music. Yes, that they had such dark lives, but the content of their music was so light and yes, and thank you, superficial and silly and fun. Yes, and it was just all about having good times. It's it is in that way. It's like the perfect California story. It really yeah. ties it all together. Like all the sun and fun almost seems like a weird coping mechanism in a way to deal with uh, some truly dark stuff. Um, <laughs> Some of the Beach Boys music, like their later stuff, reflects that darkness more clearly. I've been I've been getting into Love You, the Beach Boys Love You from 1977, which is like their freaky synth pop album. Um, and that one you're like, okay, this band's this band is totally cracked, man. Uh, <laughs> like, um, there's like no 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 hiding it on that record. Um but yeah, like to hear like to see like Mike Love and his MAGA cap like talking about the good old days when there was no no trans or whatever. Um, uh, I mean, yeah. that's dark, too, obviously. But there's so much of their story that kind of undercuts the idea of like a vintage Americana, like the good old days kind of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah, maybe on another episode. Well, uh, yeah. we'll get more into that. Um, yeah. For now, uh, I guess we'll, we'll hop on our little plane here <laughs> i don't know why i made a cat sound. <laughs> the cat the cat plane you know i think georgie reacted because you were saying george so much that's so funny She's that's like, probably it yeah <laughs> no. i don't know it's probably just she wants dinner because it's like kind of late now yeah yeah, um, yeah. well she can wait because yeah. we gotta talk about new york city yeah we gotta talk about um, well, mainly the Strokes. Yeah, we're not going to talk about, like, all New York City music, because we're, we've already been talking for over an hour. Um, yeah. And we didn't, like, take a trip to New York recently or anything like that. Yeah. We just want to talk about a specific scene of New York, like, 2000s indie rock scene, because um, we just watched the documentary meet me in the bathroom which is based on a book with the same title and you read the book yes a few years ago it's and an we oral also, history by lizzie goodman and we also went to a strokes cover band show mm. last weekend um which was fantastic yeah yeah i don't know if that's a good place to start you sure they played Is This It in its entirety. Um, I feel like everybody listening to this should know that it's one of the all-time great rock records. But if for some reason you don't know it, if you can't recite every lyric, you need to get yourself to a place where you can. Um, do yourself a favor and get super into that record. 
because um, it's it's one of the greats and it was a treat to see it played live and by such a capable group of uh, musicians yeah so this was um we had an episode about the sergeant peppercorn beatles marathon that we went to at the end of last year and just how how much fun we had there and how we just really like the vibe of everybody like in that the the pepper crew the pepper people as we like to refer to them um it just made us want to like support more local musicians um and that was a good starting place because so many of the people in who are, take part in that show like have their own music projects and are in different bands um so the one we saw i'm trying to <laughs> I'm like blanking on their name the liner notes the liner notes thank you yeah so the liner notes are a local columbus band um almost all of them are part of the sergeant peppercorn marathon one of the guys like used to be i think like he was we saw him when we went to the peppercorn marathon in 2021 but not 2023. Um, but anyway. Got tired of playing George songs, I guess. Anyway. I guess. Uh. Anyway, we saw on their Facebook that they will occasionally like learn an entire classic album from start to finish and then perform it live. And we had never heard of them. We hadn't heard of this project. But looking through their Facebook page were like, holy shit, these are some of our favorite albums. Like, they've done Grace by Jeff Buckley. Um, they did, I think they did OK Computer, or maybe it was The Benz. Yeah. Radiohead, maybe both. The Stone Roses. Stone Roses. Uh, they did Damn the Torpedoes by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> um, what else? I think they did Ziggy Stardust. Maybe? Yeah. Well, I think it's good. You get the drift. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just like all, <laughs> good records. All our, all our favorite stuff. Uh, <laughs> but this one was just advertised as The Strokes, and they had the cover of Is This It? So we weren't really sure what we were going to get. We were kind of guessing it was going to be all of Is This It and Room on Fire since they're pretty short records. But it turns out it was all of Is This It and then just kind of a grab bag of like other other faves by the strokes throughout their careers. Um, but it was a great show. It was so much fun. They nailed it. Brought so much energy. Uh, we were, we, I went to the bathroom and I came back and you were just like chatting to this guy who just seemed like a good friend of yours. So I assumed he was like a coworker, like an ex coworker. And I was kind of waiting for you to introduce me to him. And then when he walked away, I was like, who was that? And you're like, oh, I don't know. He just started talking to me. He was just really into the strokes. <laughs> yeah. So that was fun. He kind of became our friend for the night. And he's in a, a local band. We listened to his band on Spotify. Uh, yeah. What were they called? New Modern. New Modern. They were really good. They're good. Yeah. Definitely like influenced by the strokes, which is cool. Yeah. But we were uh, we were in the fun corner. We were standing yes. by that guy. He was like He was like he's... the he was the ringleader. He really was. Yeah, he was having such a great time. And in, in like a in a wholesome way, you know. Yeah. Just really enjoying himself. 
by the end when they played they played reptilia to close out the show it was i don't know like 20 people most of them 10 years younger than us probably (laughs) just like pogoing around yeah and uh i mean that's almost certainly where i got uh sick (laughs) because <laughs> oh, yeah. i was just screaming in people's faces <laughs> and vice versa yeah we we're all just kind of bumping into each other yeah. and just like having a blast totally it was worth like, it to get sick for that moment though totally worth thought it that we were like actually front row at the strokes yeah you know, it was just a cover band yeah yeah <laughs> that's what we have to settle for yeah but again to the liner notes credit they did a fucking great job yeah like they nailed all the parts and I was thinking about this when they were playing like those songs are not the most complicated songs. They're not prog rock songs. Your band has to be really tight. Yeah. Um, They're not like a wash in guitar distortion or whatever. They're all kind of based around like every member of the band sort of staying in their lane and playing these really precise parts. Yeah. Which can be hard to do live. Um, and they did a great job. They pulled it off. Especially the guitar parts. Like, the guitars are so active on those records. And, like, e- you can just sing along to the guitar parts. Yes. Because, like, there's such memorable lines. And it's very little just, like, just chords. Like, sticking to, like, a chord for, like, a few bars. Like, it's a lot of, like, like pretty intricate, like, picking and stuff. Right um yeah they really did a great job it's so funny you mentioned that about like singing i was singing every guitar solo yeah and everybody was like that was really fun yeah (laughs) and then they had they did what the strokes did which i didn't realize but you told me that the the real strokes are like this where like the two guitar players would trade off like who would do the lead or like who would play the solos and that's how they did at the show which was a lot of fun because they got to like have two people really show off their solo skills yeah yeah it seems like i'm not that familiar with the new strokes which is to say every strokes album post first impressions of earth but uh they played some of those new songs which got a great response so the joke's on me it seems like they're playing up that kind of dynamic in their songs. That's it cool. seems like they've really taken on Thin Lizzy as an influence, honestly, uh, which is not a terrible thing. <laughs> yeah, I was really self-conscious because we were, as we said, we were the fun corner. We were just like having a blast, like yeah. being barely expressive and active and stuff during is this it? And then they played like those later songs and I was just like <laughs> suddenly like, oh, I don't know this song at all. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> trying to act like I was still singing along and knew yeah. every word even though I didn't know any of the words. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I gotta <laughs> I gotta expand my knowledge of the yeah. songs a little bit. <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know. They did Heart in the Cage and I, I feel like most people's knowledge of First Impressions of Earth is sufficient. So, <laughs> which is to say, Casual Strokes fans might know You Only Live Once, a fantastic song that the liner notes played. And they probably don't know every other song on that record, which is okay, because um, they're not that good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're not familiar with the Strokes, but you want to get to know them, listen to the first two records. Start there. Right. 
Yeah, don't, you know, I'm sure, like, maybe you get into the adults are talking or whatever. Maybe, maybe you vibe with that. I don't know. I just, I have a hard time believing that even, like, 20 years from now, their legend will not be defined by Is This It and Room on Fire, which are perfect records front to back. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a good segue into Mimi in the Bathroom. Yeah. Which, uh, the name of a Stroke song. That was really, fire. yes. So the name of, the stro- of a Stroke song, name of this oral history mm-hmm. that came out in yeah. years, like 20s. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, where I read it. It was it was in our our house our our house in the New Yorker was our apartment complex believe it or not when I read the New that, Yorker you were such uh, that a oral New history Yorker. of the scene yeah pretty yeah. cool so it was probably like 2016 or so okay and then this documentary came out uh, it was just a couple years ago right mm-hmm. like 2020 right. or something like that 2022 I think was when it was released oh so yeah. it was okay very new mm-hmm. um, well relatively but um. Yeah, very like new for us, for we'll us. say, as yeah. new as it gets. <laughs> Listen yeah. to music from like 1970. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it it the strokes are kind of like the main characters, right? In the film, I haven't read the book, so you can speak to that. But in the film, it was um mainly the strokes, and. And then, like, they talked about the, the gay, yeah, it was a lot. LCD sound system. And Interpol. Interpol, yeah. Those are kind of the main. Those are the main four, yeah. Yeah. They also talked about, uh, they had the Moldy Peaches. The Moldy Peaches sort of, it was interesting. They sort of introduced the movie in a way. Yeah. They gave them a lot of credit, which I was not expecting. But then they sort of fade away. Yeah. Um, as these just, like, rock bands take over. Yeah. Yeah, the Rapture was in there too. The Rapture were in there too, um, but almost as like an accessory to like James Murphy's story. Yeah, I'll see if you Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you talked about like you know the the Strokes' first two records mm-hmm. are are the ones to go to. Well, I said that too. We both said that, but um, you really like get a sense in that movie of just how huge the strokes were when is this it came out and even like prior to that like people were just like obsessed with them they're playing like all these shows in new york that just seemed like really rowdy and like super fun they were so young and they were just like all like great friends and just seemed like these kind of wild guys that were just like having the time of their lives like running around the city and like right just being kind of crazy, having fun, being hot, wearing their leather jackets, <laughs> going to parties, <laughs> doing drugs yeah. in bathrooms and stuff. Um, 
and then like they yeah they had so much success with that first record they were like touring england a lot and it seems like in england they were even bigger than the united states right and i should then, say this you said they were huge and and i just want to clarify in a sort of local way yeah i mean obviously i heard about the strokes when i was living in oklahoma like magazines were writing stuff about them the enemy was writing stories about them and stuff but they didn't sell like millions of copies of of their records like the footage that we see when like they're lighting up new york is like within that scene they were huge and then when they went to the uk they were just celebrated i think they were blown away they get interviewed and they're like we had no idea this was how these people felt yeah um and then, and Julian was the, the main songwriter, like, wrote all their songs. And still does. Yeah. To this day, from my understanding. Um, but just, like, the immense pressure that he felt, like, coming out with a sophomore album. Just, like, having so much success with the first and then needing to follow that up. And just feeling like, oh, God, I'm going to be a failure. And, like, I mean, a lot of people talk about that when they have a lot of success with their first record just trying to like match that success yeah, with the I mean, second one because there's so much anticipation and then when Room on what's Fire the what's the first out, like, what's the first line on room on fire like i want to be forgotten i don't want to be reminded i mean it's yeah. direct reference to that feeling yeah yeah um, that's really interesting i don't think about that no but i mean we think that like room on fire is another like 10 out of 10 record I yes. like it even more than Is This It. I think you've kind of gone back and forth. <laughs> Which one's your favorite? For years, I was saying Room on Fire was the one. Honestly, the other night, though, seeing Is This It, I'm like, I'm not so sure anymore. It might be a dead <laughs> heat. Yeah. But it was not, like, that well-regarded when it came out. No. It was so interesting. Like, people were let down by it. Right. I think um, it was considered a retread. Like, a weaker version of the debut. Well, and that's even what... um the one member i don't know his name but the one member of the band like when he was being interviewed he's like what's your new record like and he's like same same songs oh yeah i think first one was it nikolai i think they had the bass player (laughs) what a weird thing to say yeah (laughs) i don't know what that was about yeah but it's just it's funny because to me it's like the big drop off is between like the second and third albums like that's where they just kind of like choked right and like lost their mojo it's funny but to think that like people were disappointed with the second one you can you can hear more about this in the dirty work episode on first impressions of earth um but yeah i I read a profile like before they released their third record and they were like it's our second second album like Uh. they were conceiving of that as like their their comeback in a way like we want to uh-huh. do it right this time we want to make the the follow-up that is this it deserves oh wow which is Weird. i mean so funny i mean like i maybe there's some people who think first impressions of earth is their best record or on par with is this it i'm not one of those people no no i think t- i think time has really i mean just it's like the hype machine you know i think they were victims of it with, with room on fire. Um, it's, it is similar to, is this it? It has 11 songs, um, not fundamentally different in any way. Um, but like, fuck man. I mean, leave home is pretty similar to the Ramones first record and they're both masterpieces. Like you can't hold that against 
the Ramones, I think in the book, or maybe it was like an interview I saw promoting the book, James Murphy of LCD Sound System, uh, like sprang to the defense of Room on Fire. He's like, yeah, everybody was down on this when it came out, but he's like, but I knew, <laughs> you know, I was there. Like, was, uh, uh, yeah. he's like, it, it, it really, when you listen to it now, you're like, how could anybody think that? Yeah. It's got fucking reptilia on it. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, it was, I really enjoyed the film. We talked about this. So it was like, if you're expecting like a history lesson, it's not great because it doesn't like give you a ton of backstory about like how the bands formed mm-hmm. for the most part and like. They're like they're are like overarches of their careers and stuff, but but in terms of just like rare footage and like getting a sense of the scene and like mm-hmm. what that was like and what the kind of like venues that these the the bands were playing and like the crowd they were playing for and just the interviews that they did and like what how they felt about their careers at the time. Like, I just thought it was a great, a great way of, like, giving you a sense of what that scene was like. Yeah. Time period. It really brought me back to, like, it, it, because, you know, I was there. Like, I (laughs) I wasn't in New York, but, like, that's when I was first getting into music was, like, the early 2000s. Right. And it was bands like The Strokes, like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. And so just seeing them come out and like and the music they're releasing at that time coupled with like the fashion people were wearing and like what news looked like back then and just the big like cultural touchstones and um the big like current events at the time and stuff george w bush george bush yeah the iraq war and like yeah. september 11 11 9 11 that was really that was really bizarre to see because i mean we've all seen that footage a million times but then you just kind of forget what it was like seeing that for the first time and like yeah seeing like people on the streets of new york and their reaction like seeing the planes hit the towers and stuff right um yeah that was really harrowing yeah there's something about the whole film i mean you're pointing at this that was it was just so immersive yes um it it didn't like hold your hand it wasn't like julian casablanca was was born in 1970 or or whatever yeah yeah. it just it (laughs) dropped you in it and I guess in a way it sort of worked as like a, like a visual companion to the book. Um, But even without having read the book, I think it's, it's powerful. It doesn't do like the thing where it just is cutting to interviews with people and you just like see them in their house drinking whiskey like Michael Jordan in uh, the last, the last dance or whatever. Yeah. It was like just a tapestry of like music and imagery and it, it puts you there. Yeah. Which is really cool. And the, the footage is, is, is truly priceless. Um, it's just funny to think at that time, like not everybody had like a recording device. So when you see the yeah, 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 as at their first shows or the strokes, like lighting 
just fucking lighting the house on fire, you know, in like the year 2000. Um, it was just like some like camcorder footage and is like kind mm. of staticky. But I mean, the energy cuts through like the, the feeling is still so vivid. It was funny to see, like, they showed a clip of the Strokes playing this big outdoor venue. Like, probably as part of a festival or something. Yeah. And it was, like, when they are talking about, like, getting big and just kind of, like, the the complicated feelings that that brought on for them, especially Julian. Um, And they showed, like, people in the crowd, because Julian, like, jumped into the crowd. And everybody, like, pulled out their camera. But it wasn't, like, their phones like they do nowadays. It was, like, everybody had a little, like, <laughs> yellow and black Kodak and was, like, yeah. just taking, like, disposable camera photos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, yeah, that it was such a segue into the culture that we have now at shows. Um, but it's just kind of funny to see. But... Uh, something I liked a lot about the film is you really got a sense of the people and like the musicians as people and their like hopes and fears and insecurities and all the complex feelings they had with fame, like with getting big. Um, Julian Casablanca talks, they talked about like him growing up as the son of a, a like modeling executive. Mm-hmm. And how he just felt really isolated as a child. Because, like, there would just be models at his house all the time. Uh, and he, like, I don't think he really had a relationship with his dad. And, but, like, these these models loved him. <laughs> so he, like, got a lot of warmth from them, I think. But was just kind of, like, felt really isolated and, like, alienated with the celebrity culture that he was grown up around. And then he just had a hard time like becoming famous because he, he didn't really want to be a celebrity, but like, well, they talked about how he wanted to, he wanted to be successful and he wanted to have fame, but like not, he wanted like his band to be popular, but not really be like a celebrity. Yeah. Like it was just this, these conflicting feelings that he had. Yeah. In the, book, talk- in the book, yeah. they're so like explicit about it. They're like, he loved Guided by Voices and so did Albert Hammond Jr. And I think that was like the ceiling of success for them was mm-hmm. to just sort of have your own kingdom of like great music and great records and like a pretty good sized fan community of like 100,000 people or whatever. And to be like, that's good enough. You know, famous, but in like a niche way. Yeah, the um, one of the members of the Moldy Peaches, uh, what's her name, Kimmy? Kimmy Dawson. Uh, Dawson. Kimmy Dawson. Kimmy. Kimmy. Kimmy Dawson. Kimmy Dawson. Uh, okay. <laughs> she was hanging out with with him at like a party because they were friends. They were like in the same scene together. Like the Moldy Peaches would open for the Strokes in the early days and. And, uh, like, Courtney Love and Winona Ryder were there, and they were, like, goading Julian to be like, come be famous with us. You're famous now. Like, yeah. don't hang out with these losers. Come hang out with us. And he was just like, 
no, I'm not going anywhere. Like said this to commit awesome. Uh, I'm going to stay on the couch with you. Just like not, not being like ready. Yeah. That kind of life yet. That was really interesting. And then like all the feelings he had of, of just like having to, um, meet the expectations of that second record like as a lead up to the first and then and then like getting to know um karen o from the gay as and like her feelings about being this front woman and how she was kind of paving the way for other women but like how isolating it was um because there weren't a lot of like female front front women yeah. <laughs> at the time um and just like, isolating the... but also liberating yeah. she really has some two minds about it i think i was surprised i always thought she was just like this really like too cool for school like new yorker just like kind of pretentious like super artsy um just really out there and like confident and stuff and like outlandish but in the film, like, you realize she was just a really shy, like, introverted person who just liked writing music and then started performing on stage. And then, like, this persona came out that she sounded kind of, like, taken aback by. She was just, like, became this other person, just, like, yeah. really outgoing um, and daring and stuff. Um, but just, like, how how hard that was for her to like be thrust in this lifestyle of like fame and being on tour, being on the road all the time, how exhausting it was. And just like bullshit that she would deal with of like, uh, photographers, like trying to get photos like up her skirt and stuff and like sensationalize her as like the sex object on stage. And, just bullshit questions that she got from yeah. interviewers and stuff. It's just funny how, like, you can see things that, that happened in the space of your life 20 years ago, not that long ago, really, and just be like, wow, man. Like, the, the wokes are right about a lot of stuff, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, that shit It's just, like, so shitty. I don't even know if it's, like, better, but just the fact that, sh- like, she's talking frankly about it and it's just recognized as like something kind of evil, yeah. you know, and wrong is, I don't know. I mean, a fewer people recognize that at the time, I think. But... Yeah. Yeah. And then like James Murphy from LCD sound system, like you get a sense of like his insecurities too. And all the issues he was dealing with of just kind of feeling like his life was passing him by because he was a little bit older i think like once he got going yes his musical career he's at least 10 years older than the the strokes i want to say so okay yeah and that's like a whole story with like his i don't know if we want to go into that like yeah how lcd sound system started and stuff but anyway like my point is I was not expecting that from the film, but it really gave us gave me a sense of like the humanness of yeah of these musicians. It's funny because like the vulnerabilities and stuff. The the book was very much in the spirit of the film, 
in that it didn't talk about like record release dates or that sort of thing. It did talk more about like the scene in broad terms and then like the personalities that made up that scene. But I do feel like the film was like a little more humane and forgiving, honestly, maybe just cause like mm. the, the history was longer and got more into like just rumor and innuendo and that sort of thing. Not okay. that I feel like the heroes of the film were, were Julie and Casablanca's and Karen O and they still come off pretty good in the book. Um, and the villain of the uh, the book and the film was Ryan Adams, who comes yeah. across shitty in both places. But I'll say this because I do want to talk about Ryan Adams. I'll say this real quick: like, like James Murphy is is definitely like an antagonist in the book. Like he's yeah. one of the main characters. He's like an Iago figure, though. He's like he kind of has like he's he's very willing to just like talk shit about other people in the scene, which is like, huh. Like yeah. a lot of people who do this often are just kind of like shitty themselves. So, well, and it was like that in the film too. And you can compare the two. So I'm sure it was like more so in the book. But <laughs> even in the film, like I feel like it didn't paint him in a, a very positive light. Right. Like, it made him a really like complex character. Yeah. And like there were a lot of quotes that they put in there of like him just sounding like a curmudgeon being like very like that, dismissive of that... other people and like he even <laughs> admitted he was like yeah i'm just not good like at making friends yeah just, like i don't know like he's very critical right like, he has a hard time it's befriending people it's funny how like that stuff like the misanthropic stuff did make him seem like more like a little me in the movie though in a way it was just like yeah hey, you really <laughs> you really are not like you're not as handsome as some of these other people, you know, or whatever. Like, I kind of understand, like, that that insecurity or, like, the sense of grievance or whatever. Yeah. Um, he got the last but, laugh. I mean, his music was listened to more than any of those people now, I think. And um, it had, like, a happy ending, too, because he said, like, his band from, and for LCD Sound System are, like, those were his friends. Those were his people. Like, he finally found, like, his squad. And, like, they've been with him for a long ass time. Like, yeah. I think it's, I don't know if they're all like original, but the same people in the film were the same people we saw when we saw him live. I feel like, like so... all of them. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, there's that loyalty there. I mean, I will say though, that scene with him, like he was like responding to an email or something. Oh, it was like a, yeah, or like a, a message. Or like a review, like, he sucks. And he was just like, oh, oh well, you suck, or whatever. It yeah, was just... he was just like, I'm going to respond to this <laughs> critical fan. So... Like, give him a piece of my mind. Yeah. And, like... so, and then the. So pathetic the, and funny, yeah. And then the keyboardist, I don't know her name, but she was, yeah. like, still in the band. And she was just kind of, like, laughing at him. Yeah, like, right. Why like, are, are you, you so angry? Yeah. Like, yeah. why are you, like, being so aggressive to this yeah. person? <laughs> oh man yeah yeah anyway there's a there's a lot more we could go into but for the sake of time probably should wrap it up we should dump on ryan adams a little bit though. oh yeah yeah ryan adams. Yeah. yeah you said he had incel energy which <laughs> which i thought just uh, kind of nailed it honestly yeah yeah you're just like why did people not pick up on this? Like when well, they hung out like, with him, for example. Um, yeah, he just seemed like they talk about how he he seemed kind of like this fanboy of the Strokes and like 
really wanted to be friends with them. And like he lived across the street and would see them all the time. And like, and then he would like cover their songs when he would do performances. And he just like, to me, is not very good looking. <laughs> Probably just like thought they were really cool and like wanted to be like them, but just like wasn't cool enough or handsome enough or whatever and he just seemed like kind of like a loser to me yeah he has some great music though i'll give him that that's the thing he's like he's talented i, w- I don't yeah. want to take that away from him um, but then you know he as we know or our, i don't know if our listeners know all of them know but he was me too like yeah a few years ago. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, he has a shit bag. It was almost weird to me that they, you know, you, you hear his voice in the film. He's allowed to narrate parts of it. Like, I think it's the, the same conversations that were put down in the book or in the movie. Conversations where he's he's talking about his friendship with Albin, Albert Hammond Jr. And kind of how like, Julian felt like Ryan Adams was taking Albert on a dark path. Like, just getting him addicted to heroin. And Ryan Adams is like, oh yeah, well, like you know, you're just you're just jealous. You just want you only want to hang out with him. You're not cool with me hanging out with him or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think Julian knew that he was just a little creep, and he needed yeah. to fucking buzz off more than yeah. anything. And what he's what we know now is that he's way more than a creep. You know, he's like a fucking abuser. You know, yeah. he's somebody who just like gets off on like these really fucking like like dominating and abusive relationships with like with like younger women especially yeah like Um, mandy moore was married to him right and like she revealed all this like horrible stuff that he did yeah i think there are a few people phoebe bridgers maybe there's some like younger indie star who like recorded with him and it's like what the fuck is wrong with you yeah i think you're right i think phoebe was one of them yeah yeah, so yeah, he really does not come across well. And they do like an intervention, like they or like a confrontation, like the strokes like say like, hey, we want to meet you at this bar. Mm-hmm. Um, so he meets them there and they're all there like stone faced, sober, just like, hey, we don't appreciate that you like got our friend addicted to heroin. Like that's not cool. And like we don't want you hanging around with him and like, we're not going to hang out with you. And he like tells the story. Like, yeah. like you said, like he's his, his voiceover, like he's telling the story, which was just like kind of shocking to me that he was like willing to tell that story yeah. because it's really not flattering to him at all. I think he told um, it before. Before they did. This came out. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that might be some of the reason why he's so frank, you know? Yeah. Because it wasn't part of like a larger uh, quilt of just disgusting behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. And yet, uh, come pick me up. Really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. <sighs> anyway, any other thoughts? Um, Before we wrap up, I think we've said all that needs to be said about the East and the West Coast. Yeah, we've covered everything. Cool. That's so yeah, to say. thanks for joining us on this tour across America, listeners. <laughs> Next time we see you, we'll be. Well, I mean, we're in Ohio now. 
will be in Ohio then. That's what this show is finally about. Yeah. It's not about the coast life. The coast is just something that we visit, visit occasionally or dream about. At the end of the day, we're here for you in the heart of it all. The, the heart of it all. Yeah. The Midwest is the best. Yeah. The Midwest is the best. Hey, hey. do the rest. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Dude, the last song in the episode, the playout song, is going to be the entirety of The End by The Doors this time. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, we also have to play Coast to Coast by Ellie Smith. Yeah. And you have to play California by Phantom Planet. I know. It's a tricky thing to to organize. I think you you can do it. I think at this point, what's going to happen is that I will have already played Coast to Coast. I will have already found a way to stick it in this episode. Ha ha. Yeah, I agree. I think what's to come is, you know, the real jewel. So without without further ado. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. Here we come, (laughs) baby. Bye bye. All right. Bye. We've been on the run, driving in the sun, picking up for number one. California, here we come. Right back where we started from Well hustles, grab your guns, your shadow weighs a ton Driving down the 101 California, here we come Right back where we started from California Nothing's gonna stop me now California, here we come Right back where we started from A pedal to the floor, thinking of the war Gotta get us to the show California, here we come Right back where we started from California California